Hi everyone, it's Pete here and welcome to EdTech Innovators. This week, we're honored to have David Carlos with us. David Carlos is Professor of Educational Assessment at the Faculty of Education in Hong Kong. The title of his presentation is Students Generating and Using Feedback in Online Learning Environments. I hope you enjoy. And today's collaboration with the University of Hong Kong is brought to us by CERES, the Centre for Educational Research at Liverpool John Moores University. Thanks very much, Pete. Um, hope everybody is keeping safe um, and their loved ones are also keeping safe in these, uh, in these difficult times. Um, so I've put my um, Twitter account uh, up on the opening slide. Um, I guess in the last few months or so, sort of how we can manage the online environment in these uh, unprecedented times has been kind of a major focus of attention. Um, so welcome to continue the dialogue on, on Twitter as well as during today's session. As you can see from the title, the focus is on online feedback and I'm emphasizing the student role. The argument that the student is probably the most important player in making sense of and using feedback. So how we can enable students to generate and use so to give um, a brief overview of what I'm going to talk about, um, it's often tempting for us to transmit information either through, um, through sharing content or through um, feedback. And I'm going to remind us of some of the limitations of teacher transmission forms of teaching and or feedback. I'm going to highlight particularly video um, feedback as a way of managing the online learning environment and establishing some kind of social presence. And I'm going to particularly argue that video or audio peer feedback might be a useful way to go. I'm going to share some online feedback principles and some practices. And I'm also going to conclude by arguing that we need um, teacher and student uh, feedback literacy. Basically what I'm going to do is I'm going to talk for maybe 15 or 20 minutes or so. Then I will pause for question, comment, sharing from the floor. Then I will do the second half maybe for another 15 minutes or so. So that's the basic um, plan. So um, emergency remote teaching, um, the kind of challenging situation that we're suddenly finding ourselves in. So some of the challenges are to try and move beyond content transmission and to try to rebuild the social and relational dimensions of teaching and learning and of feedback. And some people have called this pandemic pedagogy uh, I saw an American scholar today on Twitter talking about resilient pedagogy, which seemed a nice way of, um, of sharing it. We, we all need resilience in these difficult times. And it reminded me very much of some ideas that Peter Felton from the US um, was talking about in a Herzer keynote um, just a few months ago 
when he talked about the need for students to feel welcomed and to be welcomed into the undergraduate experience and the undergraduate environment and how important it is both in the face-to-face -face environment and in the online environment for teachers to be approachable, helpful and encouraging. So I thought this idea that Peter Felton has coined of, of trying to make students feel welcomed and welcome is not only important for online and face-to-face -face learning interactions, but very important for feedback because sometimes in the feedback realm, one has to provide some critical or challenging feedback and we need to try to share feedback in ways that are both critical but also supportive. So I guess like many of you, I've been thrown into the deep end of doing Zoom teaching in the last few months. And um, one of the things I'm finding, and I don't know if it resonates with you, is that one is looking for the possibilities of interaction and dialogue. I, I teach an ED uh, class of around 20 students, and we had less contact hours, but I think we had more interaction and more dialogue. And actually having the names on the screen in front of me, I found it was an affordance. And I think actually we also had more social interaction because of the, the worries about health and family in these difficult times. So although there were some challenges, I felt that there was some potential for increased interactivity through the medium of Zoom. One of my favorite scholars in, in the feedback space is, is Roy Sadler from Australia, who's been a great figure over the last 20 or 30 years. And he reminds us that, um, that feedback as telling is overrated. Um, and I think it's the same in the, um, in the sphere of um, feedback, um, that feedback is telling. Can I try and get rid of that? That feedback is telling is kind of overrated um, because it often doesn't connect with the students or it doesn't often enable them to take uh, action. So uh, I think that's one of the issues that we're trying to, to, to tackle. But feedback, this idea of it being a two-way uh, two issue that we're trying to sort of negotiate meaning and to try to um, make it be a two-way interactive process. So um, Pete kindly mentioned the book that Naomi and I produced and I think we eventually ended up with a nice title of designing effective feedback processes, um, a learning focused approach that we are trying to sort of um, get to the idea that feedback is something that needs to be designed and it's something that's very much focused on learning. And we used as a kind of framework this idea of a new paradigm of feedback going away from the idea that feedback is teachers transmitting information to feedback as being a partnership between students and learners where students are trying to generate feedback through peer feedback and through their own internal reflections. 
students are actively involved in processing feedback and they're trying to make use of the feedback. The, the, the proof of the feedback pudding is in the use that students must be taking action in relation to feedback that otherwise it's just an empty kind of teacher delivery and it needs to have some kind of active learner process. So I'd like to go into a sort of maybe key example of feedback in the online environment, which is video feedback. And the idea that uh, feedback can um, establish some kind of social presence that feedback can try to establish um, a social presence. And in this slide, you have Michael Henderson from Monash University. And you can see he's using the gestures. He's trying to get involved in communicating a feedback message. So video feedback has a kind of nuance and a kind of rapport that can perhaps approximate to the kind of face-to-face -face feedback mode. But there are maybe also some traps here. There's a potential for interactivity in video feedback, but maybe there's also a danger that it can fall back into uh, a one-way kind of uh, process. So what Michael Henderson tries to do is to get the students to respond to his video feedback. So they could respond via an email or they could respond with their own video feedback of how they're reacting to his comments, what they're going to do next, how they're going to actually use this feedback. So in chapter nine of the book, um, the main protagonist of this chapter, yeah, chapter nine of the book with Naomi, is Emma Mayhew, who's teaching politics and international relations in University of Reading. And she used video feedback for rapport, for nuance, for social um, presence. And she found that actually voice could moderate the critical feedback she wanted to share. Her assignments were often um, 3,000 word essays. And the critical points she wanted to make, she could use voice to kind of soften this criticism to minimize the kind of emotional side of feedback. Um, she didn't find it saved her time, but she didn't find it cost her more time. It was approximately workload neutral. She used to spend 10 or 15 minutes uh, writing comments and instead she did a five to 10 minute uh, video feedback. With the student assignment on the left-hand side of the screen, her video on the right-hand side, um, so trying to summarize through words some of the, the key points. But I think you can see there some of the traps. Um, that there's a danger that the video feedback can perpetuate a kind of monologic transmission approach. And in this review article, um, some colleagues from Australia talked about how video feedback could end up perpetuating the kind of transmission model. So, so yes, we need a bit of transmission, but we also want to be trying to get the students to be responding positively to 
the, uh, the video feedback. So I'm going to suggest that perhaps an alternative way of using video feedback is peer video feedback. And in this small scale study from Taiwan in English as a second language, the students were involved in sharing peer to peer video feedback delivered via Facebook. And in my second example from Utrecht in the Netherlands, students were involved in MOOCs and SPOCs in large classes in doing audio feedback to promote uh, deep, what they call deep learning in online education. And what they found was through providing and receiving peer feedback, the students promoted what the authors call deep learning. They established some social connections between the classmates and they enhanced the, the learner commitment. So I think some positive signs there in audio and video peer feedback in the online learning environment. So why am I prioritizing peer feedback even more than teacher feedback. Now, I think most of you in the audience will have tried out peer feedback at some point. You may have found sometimes it worked well, sometimes it worked less well. Sometimes students didn't want to get involved. Sometimes students didn't like to review their classmates. I think the devil is always in the detail. So I think there are some subtle design factors and design parameters that are going to actually decide or influence how effective peer feedback is going to be. So I'm going to try to tease out some of the factors in peer feedback. Then I'll stop uh, for a little while for some comments or questions. So why do we want to do peer feedback? What David Nichol often calls student peer review I think some of the great benefits are being exposed to a body of related work enables you to make comparisons between your own work and that of your peers. So it generates learner internal feedback. So when the students are thinking, well, how am I going? Do I need to elaborate? Do I need to do a bit more of this? So through comparing our own production, with that of others, we are generating reflections and this kind of internal feedback on our own work. So what is internal feedback? So internal feedback is what learners are generating for themselves. So if we think of it in terms of self-regulation or metacognition, it's the processes that are deployed when students are working on a task. Now all students are generating this internal feedback. If they weren't generating internal feedback, they wouldn't be able to produce an assessment response because this internal feedback is saying to them, do I need to say a bit more here? Do I need to elaborate? Do I need to do some more reading? Um, it's going to be difficult for them to, um, to see how they're going. So all learners are generating the internal feedback, but um, some of them may be doing it in more 
or less sophisticated ways. So one of our tasks is to try to help students to generate more effective peer feedback. And David Nicolard used that all learner-generated internal feedback is going to be inherent in any use of external feedback. And Nicola has been following this line of thought for a number of years. To sum up the first part of the talk, for peer feedback to work well, we need to sell the rationale and the benefits to the students. We need to provide training, modeling and support. Students need to give and receive multiple peer reviews and it needs to be in an encouraging collaborative climate. Ebenezer, you're there. Do you, do you want to share anything or ask anything? Well, not, not really, sir. Okay. Not really. Okay. <clears throat> Pete, do you think everybody's been able to get in all right and everybody's okay? Um, yeah, can I, can I uh, just uh, comment on something? Yeah, sure. Thank you. Hello, everyone. Uh, uh, this is Hala Fawzi from Bahrain. I think Hi. this, uh, um, this, this uh, issue also, there is another factor which is very important. It's the issue of the culture. Because yep. I've tried to do this by, um, I'm teaching uh, pre-service teachers in Bahrain Teachers College. And um, they do their practicum in year two, three, and four um, as pre-service teachers. So um, this term, I use self-evalu, uh, sorry, a peer evaluation um, uh, checklist. So we come to teams, we play the video, the student um, uh, reflect on the parts with, which uh, well, that went well, some parts didn't go well, uh, his own reflection, and then we take the reflection from the other uh, students. The students, frankly, uh, requested that this should not be online because the culture here in Bahrain, they're not accustomed to giving um, uh, uh, feedback that is not positive. They don't, they, they don't even dare to call it negative. They're so sensitive. Mm -hmm. So... Um, um, I said, okay, so what, what happened? I sent the uh, rubric uh, before the session. So they used that rubric to give, and I divided the rubric into two parts, what went well, uh, positive areas, and what needs to be improved. And then after that, they asked not to send the rubrics to the, to the presenter or to the, to, to the teacher who, the pre-service teacher who played the video, uh, this demo lesson. They asked to send it to me with the names. And then I collected all the rubrics. I put one uh, self, uh, sorry, uh, peer assessment uh, self, uh, checklist and I sent it to uh, the, the, the student. So, and, and I, I, I am so amazed of this sensitivity. This is my fifth year in Bahrain and it's the same culture, which is not found in my hometown, which in, in, in Sudan. So I think this is very interesting. Yeah, that, that's a very good point. I mean, teaching and learning assessment and feedback are all implemented in specific cultural, contextual and disciplinary situations. So 
any ideas, any theories, any principles have to be adapted to the situation that we face ourselves. And um, I think all of us will sometimes find that we have a repertoire of strategies and some strategies will work in some situation and not in others. And we have to have a repertoire that we adapt to the needs of the students, the needs of the culture, the needs of the discipline. So thanks very much for, for sharing those uh, insights from Bahrain. Anybody else want to throw in a comment or a question at this point or to share something? Hi, David. It's uh, Monica Ward here from uh, Dublin, Ireland. Um, hi, Monica. No, hi. Um, I have um, done this with um, computing students. Um, they have to do a communication skills course, which they absolutely love because they're great communicators, as you can imagine. Um, so they have to do peer um, review and it's peer feedback. Um, on another piece of people's work. And what I do is I split the class in two, I get them to print out something, and then they write their favorite animal and a number at the back and they fill it. I flip over the classroom and they, I go through um, five examples from previous years of um, starting from a very weak, a fair, a good, very good, and a really good, and get them to critique it. And um, you know, then I get them to write, you know, they peer review somebody else's and they, they give it back. And they, I mean, consistently they come back with, um, I thought I didn't really like the idea at the start and I didn't want somebody reading mine, but I really learned a lot. So um, I think it's great. I'm a big advocate of um, peer peer feedback. And what I found, again, following up with the previous speaker, because it's not online, they're actually doing it on a printed piece of paper that, um, I can, they can get the feedback in, in real time, but they don't know who has given it to them so that they, they can have that element of frankness. Um, but one of the things that I get from, back from my students when I ask them to evaluate this peer feedback process is they, they, a lot of them say, you know, they get a lot out of it which kind of concurs with the literature says, but they would actually like more constructive feedback. So even though it's anonymous and I, and I scaffold the process, I still would like to be able to provide better guidelines to my students so they could feel free to be a bit more critical, you know, constructively critical with their colleagues. Yeah, thanks, Monica. I think that's a good point. I think you're, you're absolutely right that we need to scaffold and train and support. And maybe to give some examples, um, what some teachers do is they share with the class some of the feedback they've received from their own uh, submissions to journals or grant applications and they show them some of the critical feedback they've received and I think sometimes this can help the relationships because I don't think always our learners realize under how much scrutiny we're under and how much critical feedback we're receiving and if you've ever been on the receiving end of reviewer two when you've submitted a journal article, there can be some, some fairly harsh criticisms. And uh, I think sometimes sort of modeling our emotional reactions and our kind of ways can be actually quite, quite fruitful. And I think it, it also makes us perhaps seem more human because maybe the students don't necessarily realize that the kind of critical feedback we're receiving but maybe also we can model for them a positive response in that um, I'm constantly getting articles rejected and then I have to regroup and send them to the next journal. Um, and I think it sort of getting used to rejection and uh, receiving critical feedback is actually 
very much part of an academic's life. And I think maybe this kind of modeling and sharing of our experiences can be something that is actually part of feedback literacy and showing students some of the strategies that we use. Um, yeah, great, thanks, that's very helpful, thank you. Unless there's, uh, obviously people can feel free on the chat. Somebody's asked about the recording. Yes, we're recording it and the organizers will post it. Um, the slides I've already posted on Twitter and SlideShare and the organizers also have a copy of the slides. So everything will be available. But what I'll do is I'll now do the second part of the presentation. And then again, I'll stop at the end for any questions and comments. So hopefully there are multiple channels for interaction. Okay, I'm going to share in the next part four uh, sort of pedagogic principles for online peer feedback, and then I'm going to try to illustrate them. So just to reiterate a well-known principle that it should be pedagogy, the principles of pedagogy more than the technology that's trying to drive student learning. We need to be developing active student roles. We need to be promoting the social and relational interaction. It's so important to be for physical interaction. And then one of the key elements of feedback design is to produce opportunities for students to act on feedback. So firstly, as I indicated at the beginning, we want to involve, uh, we want to avoid too much one-way uh, transmission of content and feedback, and that we want to try to make the students active in the feedback processes. One-way feedback is a dead-end street, so we need to be trying to make feedback processes interactive as much as we can. As I've suggested in the first part of the talk, one of the ways we can do this is through peer feedback, through encouraging students to generate feedback, process feedback, and to use feedback. And one of the things I think we sometimes don't use enough are feedback requests. In other words, students have some possibilities of asking for the kind of feedback they're looking for. So would they like feedback more on the content and the arguments? Would they like feedback on the presentation? Would they like more on the mechanics? Have they struggled with the references? David, David can I just briefly interrupt? Sure. Because Ebenezer has his microphone open. We hear a lot of background noises. We can barely hear you. Can, oh. can Ebenezer mute or can you mute him? Ebenezer, can you, can you mute your microphone? Uh, I think, uh, David, you can mute him as the, as the host, can't you? Yeah. Okay, yeah, he's, he's mute. Yeah. He's on. Ebenezer, Ebenezer. Can you mute uh, Dr. Bami, whatever, as well? Yeah. And this doctor, whoever is not unmuting it. Okay. Should we move these? Oh, 
Is that okay now, do you think? Okay, there will be a can reply. <laughs> I, yeah, Peter's giving me the thumbs up, so I'll just keep going. Yeah, feedback requests could be uh, an additional possibility where we invite students, for example, on the cover sheet of their assignment or through other means to state what kind of feedback they're looking for so that we can try to achieve some harmony between what the teacher is trying to do and what the student is looking for. The relational dimension is very important. Um, we have a, Naomi and I have a paper that's pending final acceptance, and we talk about the relational dimension of teacher feedback literacy so that students can give frank and honest and useful feedback but there is also a certain degree of supportiveness and sensitivity. So the feedback becomes um, a kind of shared responsibility between teacher and student. And the technology can support the social presence of the, of the teacher. The other dimension of teacher feedback literacy is the design dimension so that um, we can try to design opportunities within the assessment for students to make use of feedback. So for example, there could be task one, a feedback process and task two, or there could be some process of uh, draft and then resubmission so that feedback has somewhere to land. Feedback. Uh, is, is having some opportunities whereby uh, the feedback process enables students to take uh, action in response to any feedback that's being generated. So in view of those principles, I want to try to outline a few feedback possibilities. One is screencasting, the second is curated e-portfolios, and the third is social media for feedback. So screencasting, some of you may have tried out the combination of video feedback with the screen being visible so that the students can see where you're pointing to in terms of their, uh, their slides or their written text. Uh, screencasting could be used selectively for the teacher to give feedback on work in progress. Screencasting could be used to demonstrate or as part of the training for peer feedback. If you remember in the first part of the talk, I suggested that peer-to-peer uh, -peer video feedback is a good option. What about peer-to-peer -peer screencast feedback? I haven't found too many examples in the literature. Most of the literature on screencast is the teacher doing it. But again, if we want to activate uh, the students, maybe peer-to-peer -peer screencast feedback is something that could be part of our online feedback repertoire. E-portfolios. Now again, e-portfolios sometimes work well, sometimes not so well. Um, but I think there is a possibility for the e-portfolio to be an opportunity for students to request feedback, to generate peer feedback, 
to use peer feedback, to use teacher feedback. So when implemented well, there is a possibility for the e-portfolio to be a kind of curation device for feedback, where the student could actually be evidencing what feedback has been sought, what feedback has been used. So the e-portfolio is not just a lot of materials, but it's been carefully selected for the students to demonstrate the learning outcomes and to demonstrate what feedback has been generated and used. So some possibilities there. In a recent paper, Phil Dawson and myself and Pamela Lee, we coined a term authentic feedback, uh, building on the idea of authentic assessment. And we defined authentic feedback as processes resembling the feedback practices of the discipline, profession, or workplace. Now in your uh, university, Liverpool John Moores University, you have Charlie Smith in architecture, who's used a very nice mode of authentic feedback in terms of visual feedback. In architecture, the visual sense is very powerful for the students, and the students ask the architecture uh, teachers to produce visual feedback. Seeing is believing is very much the sense of architecture. So they wanted to see some examples of designs, see what the teacher meant. So I think visual feedback in architecture would be a nice example of authentic feedback from Liverpool John Moores University. In our actual case, Phil Dawson collected in Melbourne an example of digital media feedback. The course being taught was a digital feedback course, so the students were involved in learning about social media. So the assignments were based on blog posts, they were posting on Facebook and on Twitter and social media. So the feedback processes were authentic to the subject that was being studied. And the feedback process and the digital media process were kind of intertwined. So I think some possibilities there for matching the authenticity of the discipline with how the feedback processes are being managed. So I'm just wondering, thinking aloud really, whether we can use social media as a way of augmenting feedback processes. Now I imagine there would be a number of challenges because I guess we all use social media for various means and they may or may not be for academic purposes. So whether students would want you to use their Facebook account for feedback purposes is maybe a moot point, but there are some trends in the literature of people using Twitter or Facebook for, um, for learning purposes, and maybe there are some possibilities for feedback purposes. Uh, one of my colleagues in University of Hong Kong, Jessica To, has been using uh, WhatsApp as a convenient way of giving timely feedback to students. Uh, in China, some of people are using WeChat. So some possibilities and some challenges, whether students would welcome this, um, I don't yet know, but it seems to me that the Twitter, for example, uh, one of the guys in Melbourne, he 
set up a second Twitter account just for teaching purposes and he asked the students to set up the Twitter account and they could um, interact through Twitter on the learning uh, processes of their disciplines. So some possibilities, um, some possibilities there. So just to round up some of the implications for feedback literacy, I think pretty challenging any kind of feedback. Feedback is a very complex communication. So teachers need some fairly complex knowledge, expertise and dispositions to, to design feedback processes to enable student uptake. In our framework for teacher feedback literacy, we have kind of three to four components. The design components, the teachers are designing the assessment in the online learning environment to facilitate the uptake of feedback messages. They're attentive to the relational, um, the relational dimension of feedback so that uh, there is some social presence, there is this feeling that students are welcomed to the university, to welcome to the course, and that teachers are managing the practicalities of feedback. So that feedback is not too time consuming for the teachers, and it's satisfying for the teachers, as well as being useful to the students. And we're seeing teacher feedback literacy as kind of interweave with student feedback literacy that the students need to be developing their, um, their kind of willingness to engage in feedback opportunities, their determination to actually try to improve. So we're seeing a kind of interplay between teacher and student uh, feedback literacy. So just to kind of try to sum up, pedagogy should be driving the technology use, we need active student involvement. We need social presence, care, and trust. And we need to be supporting and coaching the students in how they can be handling uh, feedback literacy, how they can be developing their capacities for peer feedback, for evaluative judgment, how we can coach them and model for them how to manage the uh, emotional side of feedback, and how we can provide them opportunities to use feedback for ongoing uh, improvement. So um, welcome, a bit more of a dialogue. Um, I've posted on the slides, which are with the organizers and I posted on Twitter, um, a very nice infographic from Naomi Winston and the Surrey Learning Lab. Also in the slides, there's the reference list, uh, all the sources I've mentioned. There are also a few supplementary slides I haven't had enough time to go through. But I'll um, stop there and leave for you to pose any questions or... So, yeah, um, so you've touched upon this already, but um, can you give us more details about the level of coaching that you would need to foster in your students if they're going to feedback to each other effectively? Yeah, I think we need to start peer feedback coaching by first 
selling to students the benefits of peer feedback, then I think we probably also need to model for them some of the benefits. So I think we need to give some examples of where we've generated some peer feedback. So we might give some examples of peer observation when we've gone to a colleague's class and got some insight, when some colleagues have come to our class and we've generated some insights. I think we need to perhaps share some examples of peer review in academia. Uh, in my case, I get a lot of critical comment from folks on my journal articles. So I think we need to sort of articulate the role of peer review and peer feedback within the workplace, within academia, as a means of learning. And I think we need to open up a conversation with them that peer feedback can be unpleasant. It can also be minimalistic. Sometimes people may not give you very detailed feedback, but sometimes the more feedback experience we have, the more benefits we can see. Then I think we need to give them some concrete examples. So maybe we need to look together at an example of an assignment that they can relate to. Maybe give some examples of not so useful constructive, less constructive comments, more constructive comments. So I think it's maybe run them through the process. Now maybe in the online environment, this could be a video where we, we go through some of these steps. Then I think they need to practice it. And I think they need to practice it on multiple occasions. So I think one of the best examples is in University of Otago in New Zealand. It was in an ecology program where student peer review was embedded into all the years of the program. So they did some peer review in year one, then in peer, peer review in year two was based around a research project that the students were gonna do. So everybody was doing a different, um, a different research project. So you couldn't copy from what they were doing, but you could learn from and you could give comments and all the students gave peer review on at least two different uh, research proposals. And some teacher peer review was also mixed into the, um, into the peer review you received. So each student received three peer reviews. Two of them could be from a student and one of them could be from a staff. And interesting, they couldn't always differentiate who was the staff and who was the student. So I think it's receiving multiple peer reviews. And then it, importantly, I think we need to have the opportunity to act on the peer review. So the students had the draft um, of their um, research proposal, and then they revised it in the light of the peer review. So I think it's kind of mimicking the kind of peer review processes that you often go through in the workplace, or in academia and it's kind of having a conversation and a dialogue teasing out the processes and just like academics students say well I often had contradictory peer review a reviewer one said do this but reviewer do said do something else and then how we sort of go through these complex processes 
be something like that, Pete. Does mm. does that make sense, or do you have some additional points? It does. I mean, the, the follow-up question is a, a more technical and simple one, and that's um, the facility for capturing that blind field view. So, um, what have been some effective examples of how you actually make that happen? Yes, I think it's when there is a design where there is a draft like this draft research proposal, then you get the feedback and then you act on the feedback. And what Tony Harland and his colleagues did at the University of Otago is they required the students to write a feedback action and rebuttal. So just like an academic has to write the letter to the editor saying how they've acted on the peer review, the students had to do this. So they, they had to explain why they acted on some peer feedback, but they also had the option of saying, I didn't agree with the feedback from reviewer two because of these reasons and I didn't act on it. Oh, but they couldn't reject the feedback without giving a reason. And I think that's important. Just like when I'm resubmitting to the journal editor, if I don't act on the feedback, I have to give a reason. And sometimes the reason is, well, feedback was contradictory, so I had to decide for myself which way to go. And I think it's giving the rationale and giving the justification of why you've acted on some peer feedback and not on others. And I think that in itself is a valuable process because it's stimulating the internal feedback. You're having a kind of conversation in your mind with the reviewers and the editor and you're trying to convince yourself and the editor why you've acted on certain feedback or not on others. And I think it's this internal feedback and this dialogue that is the power of good peer review and good feedback process. Mm. I'd like to think that that could help our colleague in Bahrain as well, who asked the earlier question. Yeah, I hope so. Thanks, David. David, could I ask a question? Hi, it's Monica here again. Um, I, I mean, what you said there makes sense, and I'm, I'm doing some of it, but there's a lot more I can incorporate. Um, I'm just wondering, would you, what are your thoughts on um, specifically for dealing with first years coming in to university. Okay, so if a lot of it is going to be online, there's lack of the face-to-face -face component. Um, so I've done stuff with um, kind of third years, so they're already in the system and they're a bit more mature in that. And while I know that um, secondary education is different in, in different countries, do you have any general observations of easing the, that transition from kind of sort of supervised learners to independent, allegedly independent learners at third level and this, this feedback process. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, thanks Monica, I do. Yeah, good question. I think sometimes we could do a better job of building on previous student experiences. So I wonder whether you could ask them, what were their experiences of peer feedback in school? Did it work well? Did it work badly? And what lessons could they draw? And if they say, well, I did peer feedback in school, but it wasn't very good because my, my partner wasn't really into it and didn't give them much insight. And I've worked in school systems and I've trained teachers, so I'm pretty confident that they would have had experiences of peer feedback in school but I get a feeling that a lot of their experiences wouldn't be that positive. So I think as a starter, it might be nice to get them to reflect on that 
and then to get them to think on how they might do it better. And I think one of the important lessons with peer feedback is it's not so much whether your partner can give you some brilliant insight, it's to what you can learn for yourself by reflecting on your own work and by looking at other people's work and drawing inferences from, for your own work. And I did an interview study and one of the participants was the very best student in the class and she was streets ahead of the rest of the class. And I said to her, what can you learn from peer feedback? And she said, even though her classmates didn't always give her that much insight, she could gain a lot from looking at their work. Because not only could she see they were making errors that she also made, but it could also encourage her in realizing what she was good at doing. But it also meant that she could see in their work some of the problems that she was having. So I think we need to sell better to students in the first year. But actually a lot of the learning from student peer review from peer feedback comes not just from any insight you might get from someone else. Because frankly speaking, sometimes they don't give you a great insight. But the more you put into it, the more you can gain from it. So the more you will try to analyze somebody else's work, the more insights it can give you to reflect on um, your own strengths and weaknesses. Do you think that might work, Monica? Yeah, you know, that, that is really good because obviously um, at third level, we don't have such a good insight as to what really happens at, at second level. So I, I think, I'll, I'll, yeah, it sounds good to me, thanks. But I think at every year of the process, you know, asking students, what are your experience? You know, in the online space, they could easily share it in a couple of sentences on the chat. Um, you know, you could start your Zoom class in that way. Anybody done it before? How did you find it? But maybe let them surface the problems and then propose some solutions. You know, and they might come up with some good ideas about how we could hold students accountable. You know, some teachers will give part of the grade for the quality of the peer feedback, the quality of the peer review. I know there are different things we can experiment with. And I think as always having a dialogue with the student and seeing if they've had any good experiences can be a nice way of, uh, of starting it off. Yeah, great, thank you. Any other people want to come in with some questions or students? Uh, yeah, do you want to? Um, uh, yes, Professor, I have a question, please. Yeah, go ahead. Um, uh, what, what about if, if I give them um, opportunity for peer feedback um, in, in, in a course that requires them to write uh, an academic research paper uh, in a linguistics course? So uh, I have, for example, 24 students. So imagine that the one student is having uh, feedback uh, from 23 students. So, um, and this is one of the, one of the process takes, for example, 20% of the, of, the, of the assessment. So won't students gain too many ideas from the peers? So they have to 
comment on each other's work before they submit their own work, of course. So I will be ended up with a good quality of work. So full mark. So, <laughs> so how can I, how can I, uh, I'm linking feedback now to assessment. So yeah, how can I be, yeah, thank you. Very yeah, much. that's a good question. As I said at the beginning of the peer feedback part, the devil is in the detail. So the, the kind of detailed requirements of your assessments in your class are going to be an important factor. So I think you've raised a very good point there. If it is a convergent assessment task where there is only one right answer, then the peer feedback is not going to be so suitable. I think it works much better when each student is doing a slightly different task. So say you've asked them to choose a social issue and they're all writing about a different social issue, then the peer feedback works well. But if they're all doing the same task, I think I might be tempted not to use peer feedback. Or could you put them into trios? I don't think we want to be giving peer feedback to I don't think you want to be giving 23 sets of peer feedback because that would be too much. But from what you've said, I think if there's one task with one correct answer, then I have a feeling peer feedback wouldn't be the best option in that situation. It might be better to save it for a divergent task when they're all doing the same task, but they're, do uh, but they're doing different topics as it were or different issues as in the example of the research proposal task i gave each group was doing a different research proposal so it seemed to work a little bit better. i think that would be my reaction to what you've yeah right thank you thank you very much thank you but i think peer feedback could be used for proofreading and and spotting out grammar errors because i think you learn a lot from that process but again you might say if there are high stakes marks involved i tend to feel peer feedback works better as a student peer review exercise not as a peer assessment when it gets too close to the marks then maybe students are worried that they're in competition so it needs to have the right kind of atmosphere uh, Bama Daly, did you want to ask something? Yes. My question is this. How did you manage your available teaching period to authentic feedback? Sorry, I, I missed the authentic first part. feedback. Okay. Authentic. I said, how did you manage your available teaching period to authentic feedback? There was a little bit of echo, but um, I, I, I can catch it's to do with authentic feedback. Well, the yes, idea how did, you, how did you manage your available teaching period to authentic feedback? Because in Nigeria here, you know, we have specific time that you, you need to stay in the class when teaching students. And then, um, you know, if you are teaching them with that particular period, some may learn very fast, while some may learn, they may be slow, slow learner. And all these things has already been prescribed in the teaching uh, period set aside for each subject. 
So how do you manage uh, how do you manage your teaching period with that authentic feedback? Sounds sounds quite challenging, but I think some of the principles is that we try to design the assessment in ways which will provide some students to act on the feedback. Maybe we can try to give them some examples of what are the expected standards. These examples could be from a parallel class or from a different topic, but something that can illustrate to students what good work looks like. And then I think it's trying to establish some kind of uh, teacher-student understanding of what feedback is for and trying maybe to time the feedback in such a way that it can enable student um, action. But I think you're right, a lot of challenges and problems um, that sometimes are, are gonna be quite difficult uh, in, in various situations. That's it for this week. Thank you very much for listening. Look after yourselves and see you later.